Welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads for a refreshing pause and a bit of reflection. My name is Brandon, and I'm really glad you're here. I invite you to join me and my friends, Matt and Peter, for a friendly back porch conversation about prayer, Christian spirituality, faithful theology, and much more. So pull up a chair, grab a drink, and get comfortable as we start today's show. And when we're done, don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org to find out more about all that our ministry offers. Listeners, welcome to The Back Porch. Today is a special episode because today is a special day. This episode is being released on Good Friday, 2023, and we wanted to offer you something to help in your Good Friday meditations. So I have my wife leave with me today. Leave, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining me here. Yeah, it's wonderful to spend some time doing this. So listeners, what what's interesting for us is that this is in many ways at the very heart of Signpost Inn and leave last episode was actually your episode on hospitality and Easter feast. And in many ways, this is at the very heart and reason that Signpost Inn exists. Yeah, Easter is the time when the earthly life of Christ comes to its most important climax. He was born and we celebrate that at Christmas. But I think like the disciples, we sort of lose track of what his real purpose is. And as we're invited to spend some slow time with the Lord during Holy Week, slow down our pace of meditation, look at his words more slowly, follow the story of his last week before the crucifixion and resurrection, we're welcomed into who he is and what he has, which is what we model our idea of hospitality after. We're welcomed into the story in a very special way during Holy Week and then especially on Good Friday. What a wonderful time to watch him, to watch with him as he wanted his disciples to do. And then, yes, Easter has been the center of the Booth's universe, such a time of feasting and unconditional welcome. And so I'm glad to spend this time on Good Friday in prayer and in some meditative reading of the last words of Christ. So listeners, our goal is to give you a little bit different view on these words by meditating on the kindness and the compassion of Jesus as he did these things, as he died for us, rather than simply meditating on the pain, we want to see through that and see into the heart of Jesus. We're going to begin with a litany, a short prayer, a call and response prayer, and then prayerfully work through the last seven words of Christ from the cross. And and each one we'll read. We have a bit of silence to contemplate those words, a prayer, and then Lee and I will offer our own meditations to to hopefully benefit. But in order to not have the awkward silence and make you wonder whether or not we're here, uh, we've added some quiet music to help your meditation. So let's go ahead and get started. Join us as we pray. Lord, hear the prayers of your people. And forgive our sins, for you are kind. Lord, creator of the world, you judge righteously. Deliver us from evil by your right hand. And forgive us our sins, for you are kind. 
By your cross, you purchased for yourself a people from the nations. Graciously blot out the sins of all, O Christ. And forgive our sins, for you are kind. You called on the Father and asked him to forgive. Forgive our debts and loosen our bonds. And forgive our sins, for you are kind. You promised the rest of paradise to the thief. Help the penitents who are bound. And forgive our sins, for you are kind. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The seven words of Christ from the cross. Each word from the cross we'll read a few times and invite you to meditate on those words. Whatever you notice, whatever you hear, simply rest and dwell with those words. Number one, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. O God in heaven, your Son did not strike back with revenge against his enemies as they ridiculed and crucified him, but he prayed for their forgiveness. Guide us to remain faithful to your word, to follow your divine will, and to forgive all who have done us harm. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So let's take a moment and reflect on what we notice there. Uh, Leave, I'll, I'll toss it to you first. What did you notice in this word? Yeah, it's amazing when you read meditatively like this, something will come out that you haven't seen before, no matter how many times you've heard these words. And the, the thing I really see this time is all of the characters caught up in this story who have no idea what a huge thing is happening around them. It is another day for a Roman soldier. He's doing his job. He doesn't realize that the Lord is at work in the very biggest thing, the very biggest way that God ever stepped into human history is on that day and they just don't know. And the Lord is having mercy on them in the middle of their most grievous sin because he has the bigger picture and they don't. What about you, Brandon? Did you see something come up while you were reading? Yeah, I think for me, for me, I noticed that he did not strike back with revenge. And I find that I've been thinking a lot about forgiveness lately and the one-sidedness of forgiveness, especially here in light of, it's in the litany, right? The, the, the reason we chose the litany 
over and over and over again and forgive forgive our sins for you are kind mm-hmm. it's hard for us to fathom that Jesus when he forgives it's because he wants to yeah you know the purest and best and most godlike forgiveness of all is not a forgiveness that's done out of duty or done out of requirement but he actually wants to like weirdly even delights in it like it's it's something he this is not hard for him and i think we in our human relationships find forgiveness to be very difficult uh, understandably so and we find forgiveness to be to take time and we find forgiveness to be you know we do it out of duty we do it out of god said i had to but but i don't think that that's where christ is i don't think the forgiveness took effort and i think yeah. that's what that you are kind means and i don't know that just i love that that gives me a lot of hope in my own sin gives me a lot of hope in my own life of just a different picture of jesus jesus is not holding back forgiveness he is running to it yeah that's beautiful we're we're being given a glimpse here of the motivations of god on the inside which is not a picture that we're often given what's going on inside god in fact we're that's really kind of that's beyond what we really ought to look into and yet he opens up that part of his heart and shows us how he thinks about us it strikes me that he's forgiven them you know he is forgiving them in the midst of the sin yes and i you know we we often think of forgiveness as being something we do after we've been harmed and as i said it takes time and effort but for him it was like the first thing that he did yeah before they could even know what they were doing. There's more to be said there, but let's do the second one. Yeah. Woman, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. Oh God, your son displayed compassion for his grieving mother when he placed her into the care of his beloved disciple, John. Take us into your care with compassion. Guard us and shield us from all the assaults of the evil foe and from all enemies and persecutors who seek to take Christian lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I am always encouraged when translators remind us that calling his mother woman 
is a tender term. You might even say, dear woman, behold your son. And I, I have often seen here a beautiful, intimate moment between Jesus and his mother where we see him later calling to his father from the cross. Here, he recognizes the closeness of his mother and has compassion on her, recognizes the pain that she feels at losing him and doesn't leave her comfortless. He entrusts her to his best friend. And similarly, in the other direction, he doesn't leave John alone, but says, this is your mother. You have each other. Love in the church is more than some sort of emergency measure to hold us over until this is all over, but it's what Jesus set up for us. Sons and mothers that the church is Christ's family and he made that so clear to us even in the midst of our suffering, confusion, deepest grief. It really is little children love one another. That He would even take the time to look at their pain and say that in the middle of his pain. He connected with them, he saw them, and he provided for them. That idea speaks to me of the compassion here being he he knows the depth of our pain and even the cross itself is how he knows that and here is here's him right on right there showing that he understands the depth of his mother's pain yeah and that we will soon hear that he is left alone but he never leaves us alone. He doesn't leave her alone. And so even knowing the depth of her pain, knowing the depth of our pain, he never expects or requires of us to go to the places that he went to. Yeah. Number three, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. O oh God in heaven, from this veil of tears, we poor sinners cry to you, Lord, remember us in your kingdom. When our last hour comes, comfort our hearts with your life-giving promise. Today, will you be with me in paradise?
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I think this one for me is especially poignant. The idea that we are in in a time, you know, this veil of tears, that there isn't Hmm. That we are, we are stuck. <laughs> we are stuck in our sin. We are stuck in our sufferings. And for all of our questions about transformation and progress and becoming a better person and whatever, there are times when the world or our sin brings to our remembrance that we have nowhere else to go. Yeah. And we cry, Lord, remember us. Lord, remember us. Don't forget. And again, we have here, you know, remember, these are all words from the cross hanging on the very thing that would save us in great agony. <laughs> I mean, really? While you're suffering and dying and hurting and in massive agony, Jesus, don't forget about me. <laughs> and he's like, I won't. Yeah. I mean, nobody's thinking about him. <laughs> yeah. And we're all asking him to think about us. And again, I think I'm confronted with, wow. you know, both his humanity in great agony, but his divinity. Of course he's thinking about us. He doesn't need me to think about him. He doesn't ask me to think about him. He is from that moment thinking about us. I think I've sometimes thought I sh when I s meditate on the crucifixion, I really need to be somebody, doesn't somebody need to remember how badly Jesus suffered? But I think here the reminder is, no, no, what I'm supposed to be remembering is that Jesus remembered me. Yes, absolutely. His complete presence in that moment. He isn't he isn't distracted in in what it is that he's actually there to do and the pain, his pain isn't the point. The pain is for us. It's really unthinkable. I say that and it actually almost feels disrespectful. You know, Good Friday is not about Jesus pain. You know, that it does, it feels disrespectful, but of course it's not because you're absolutely right. Why was he doing it? This is for the joy set before him, which is you and me. You know, something else that comes up at the beginning of this prayer reminds me of another prayer and it has, this other prayer has the, uh, the line, after this, our exile. We're talking about this valley of tears. After this, our exile. And I have always been given the, the sense that Jesus is going home here. It's his paradise that he's welcoming us into. And he and the thief and the cross are, are, are exiled at the moment. They're on the outside. You know, maybe the thief, I don't know, even more so, but certainly he feels that he's, he's supposed to be on the cross. Jesus isn't. And that feeling of exile, that feeling of being away from home that we all feel, we all sense. And Jesus addresses that 
and says, you'll be in my house. We're going home. Today. We're going home today. 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 Yeah, I think Good Friday is also a good time to consider our own mortality. It's a real bookend to Ash Wednesday. And we do consider our mortality, and I think we don't like to think about having things in place for our last day. We don't like to think about what prayers would I want to have on hand? You know, how would I want to end if I knew when that day was? But if you were given the gift to know that it was today, I mean, I, I've been in that moment and seen someone dear on their last day. And to know that there, that Jesus gave us specific words for that moment, today you will be with me in paradise. He's so kind to give us those words to hang on to. And of course, the reality behind them. Number four. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh God, Heavenly Father, you have drawn us all to yourself through the anguished suffering of Jesus Christ, who cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? For the sake of your Son, do not forsake us when we bear our heaviest crosses and afflictions, but reach out to us and uphold us with your fatherly grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The words that immediately leapt out to me is, you have drawn us all to yourself through the anguished suffering of Jesus Christ. And I think that's an interesting idea that in this moment, it is Christ's abandonment that draws us. The great reversal of all time that by forsaking his son, God opens and draws, opens himself and draws us to himself. Through death, God brings life. Through abandonment, God brings family and connection. But, but I find it, well, here's the point. What draws me? Why does this draw me? How can this draw me? Shouldn't this repel me? But it actually does draw me. Because again, I have no fear here. And I know that Jesus, my Lord, knows what it feels like to feel forsaken, to feel unlovable, to feel 
shameful to feel. It reminds me of those moments when sin makes me think that I am, that I should be cast out, or makes me feel that I am cast out from humanity, from all relationships, from everything else. And this stands in the way of that. I cannot be. I cannot be cast out because Christ was for me and will not forsake me because he knows how bad that feels. And his compassion won't let any of us stay there. So the greatest act of faith is to come back from evil, come back from shame and guilt and say, but I, I am not forsaken. Yeah, and this this mirrors what you said earlier about about Mary and John, where we are given comfort and the presence of God, and he takes the suffering and the feeling of being forsaken. I'm also watching this pattern, looking at these, you know, one at a time right in a row, the words of Christ, that he himself is contemplating while he's on the cross. He's suffering beyond what we can imagine, maybe unable to finish long sentences, but he's he appears to be thinking through the prophecy that leads to this moment. He's thinking through, or he's maybe he's present to everything that the Lord has set up for the salvation of mankind from Genesis until this point, and thinking of us even way in the future. But of course, he's quoting here, and I think you've mentioned before that the Psalms were Jesus' own prayer book. Since he was raised in the Jewish tradition, he would have prayed the Psalms, and this is Psalm 22. So we have a picture of his his inner life, his understanding, his full consciousness and presence on the cross of what is being fulfilled here. And so when he throws out this line. It's one that has lived in him in his daily prayer life from Psalm 22, starting out with that verse and ending in a an amazing statement of the presence and faithfulness of God. The second half, there's often that turn in the Psalms, right? And the second half says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid and then continues on praising God for his good and loving will. So we only hear one part here of Jesus' internal life of ironically devotion, considering that he is God and yet models also for us the position of humanity before God, that we're filled with an understanding of the the, the present reality of God's fulfillment of his promises and our part in that, which gives our life context and purpose and meaning, and it's personal. Yeah. Number five, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty.
God, in the parched suffering of your son, Jesus, he cried out, I'm thirsty. Move us, your people, to hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Kindle our hearts with your divine love, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers will be able to separate us from your love. Make us hunger and thirst to serve each other willingly, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I am reminded of an Advent hymn that I meditated on during Advent this year, and the line is, Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. God's thirst for my salvation. He longs for us, and not in some sort of manipulative, gee, I wish you'd come visit, but he won't be without us. And he'll do anything as a good shepherd to come after us. And of course, this this verse specifically is also just what it says. He thirsted, and it fulfilled a scripture. And there's that odd moment, I really don't know what to do with this one actually, where somebody rushes, and it's always it's always caught my attention that they, they rushed to soak a sponge in sour wine and lift it up on a stick to his mouth. And I, I don't entirely know what that detail, why that detail caught the writer's attention, except to me that it just sounds so pathetic. Of course he's thirsty. He's lost so much blood. And yet also poetically, that thirst comes from his heart and soul to finish his work, to amazingly fulfill his desire to bridge the gap between God and us, to bring us all into his family and into paradise. That makes me, I guess, where my mind keeps going is on this same theme of compassion and of all of the ones that we've read so far, this one is the one that invites us to to have the most compassion for Jesus as in his humanity, to notice how this affected him. And yet at the same time, I'm, I'm noticing that the prayer that we read following immediately turns our attention back to what this did for us. And I just keep getting struck by that. that and I think that's kind of what I'm hearing and what you say too, I'm thirsty for you is a real meaning here and so am i invited am i to feel compassion for the suffering of jesus of course but that that contemplation of his suffering that would make my heart hurt for him immediately rebounds into awe that this is driven by his compassion for me and that does kindle my heart that does what bring up great desire in my heart to serve him and others willingly yeah it's that that amazing mystery of all of this being 
Number six, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. O oh God in heaven, according to your will in Jesus Christ, all is finished for our salvation. May our lives be filled with deeds of gratitude according to your holy will, and not following our own understanding. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Another way to say this is it is accomplished. It is done. And something just flashed out at me so brightly here with the word it. Hmm. That Jesus, again, so conscious of you know, all time is present to him. He's aware of creation. He's aware of the end of the world. The process that started in Eden and the the conflict and the promises, the betrayals of God's people against him, but his continual promises, I'm thinking through the Old Testament, his over and over again reiterating a covenant that depends only on him. And if this covenant gets broken, he's the one who gets punished. And that's what happens. And for him to say it is for him to know the entire plan from beginning to end and that there's a relief. It, this story we've all been working on, this, this process is done. It's like creation. And Jesus, of course, created the world and he went through all of his days of creation and finished and said, yes, it's done. Mm -hmm. And here he says, I'm creating something new. It's done. And then enters into his rest. Yes. Reminds me of that line in that Andrew Peterson song. He's resting as he rises. Yeah. You know, that rest does not mean cessation. It means, actually, in many ways, means enjoying, loving, delighting. You know, the, the work is accomplished. What do, you, what do you do when the work is done? What do you, what does the sculptor do when he finishes the statue? What does the artist do when he finishes the painting? The novelist do when he finishes the novel? He sits back, he looks at it, and he enjoys the work well done. And he enjoys the thing that's been done. I think that reflects again when we know who it is who goes through this process of crucifixion. And I, I say it removed like that on purpose because we think of it as this sort of process, as this sort of, you know, story we hear all the time. But when we remember that that it's Jesus of the wedding of Cana, you know, celebrating with his friends, Jesus who loved having the little children nearby. Jesus who created all of the world and when he, you know, the, the end of Job shows us God involved in and delighting in his creation. He's Lord over it, yes, but he also enjoys it. 
and he loves it. And when we see that Jesus here thinking about us bought and paid for and the punishment having fallen on him and not us, that is the man who says, oh, okay, all done. Number seven, the final words of Christ. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. O God in heaven, help us faithfully follow our Lord Jesus Christ. When you call us poor sinners from this world, lead us to submit our souls to you and to pray with confidence in our hearts. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even when our voices cannot speak, then receive us at last into your gracious hands through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I can't ever hear humility and trust in the Lord's plan and not think of Mary. Let it be to me, as you have said, the perfect personal trusting that God knows what he's doing. We talk about Mary's yes undoing Eve's no. Eve said, my way, and Mary said, your way. And of course, that is how Jesus is. Father, giving myself to you. And in our place, he surrenders. Yeah, I think this is the if we only notice that this is what Jesus says when he's literally dying, we fail to see that this is the cry of every Christian all the time, right? This is the, the prayer that we read afterwards, let us submit our souls to you. Now, this, is, this is not the cry of death. The, the, the greatest and final reversal, you know, that in dying, Jesus fulfilled, did <laughs> completely and totally, as you said, surrendered himself to God, which is the, which is the thing we've all failed to do all the time, which is the fundamental fact of our sin. And so this becomes just, this is the... It's the posture it, of our souls, right? I have the image in my mind of this will be... This is not a theologically accurate picture, but it doesn't really matter. It's a, the images of all of us waiting for the day that we get to enter paradise together as God's people. And that moment when the gates get thrown open back to, back to paradise, back to the Garden of Eden, back to the presence of God, this will be what we all cry as we, 
as we walk in, as we charge in. This is, these are the words we are all yelling with one voice because these are the words that open the gate. These, these are the words that declare what eternity is and what we will be doing. And they won't be words of pain. They'll be words of joy. Yeah, that's incredible. I absolutely see what you're saying. Throwing open the gates, and there's <laughs> the Lord with open arms and us running to him like a bunch of children. Into your hands. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Listeners, thanks for joining us. We hope that you have found this to be meditative and helpful for this Good Friday. And may you commit your spirit to your Father. Amen. listening. This podcast is a production of Signpost In, a nonprofit Christian ministry dedicated to helping people connect with God and find direction. We offer spiritual direction, retreats, and lots of other resources like this podcast. Please visit us at signpostin.org to learn more. We especially want to thank our generous donors who support our work and keep this podcast going. If you've benefited from something you've heard on this show, please consider supporting us by making a tax-deductible gift at signpostin.org donate. That's signpostin.org slash donate. And thank you.